Hello. Today I'd like to give some uh, instruction on meditation and explanation on the experiences that one gains through the practice of meditation and the results that one should expect to attain through one's practice. So first of all, I think it's important to go over again, even though many of you may already be aware of how we practice meditation to see clearly the reality around us. For those of you who aren't um, familiar with this sort of meditation or Buddhist type of meditation, I just thought I'd go through it with you. So basically the practice of insight meditation or medita meditation for the purpose of seeing things as they are, for seeing clearly, is done through by focusing on some aspect of reality, some experience that is uh, occurring in the present moment, whatever that experience might be. For instance, a basic technique, a basic object that we'll give to beginner meditators is to watch their stomach. So you can try this now with me if you've never done it before. You close your eyes and you watch your, you put your mind on your stomach focus your attention on the abdomen. As the breath comes into the body, the abdomen will rise slightly. As the breath goes out of the body, the abdomen will fall. And we simply focus on the movement as it occurs. If it's not clear, you can put your hand on your stomach to give you a clear awareness of the experience. As it rises, we're just going to focus on the object and try to experience it and understand it for what it is. To do this, we use a technique of meditation called a mantra, which is simply a word or a name for the object of our focus. So when we're focused on the stomach, we simply say to ourselves, rising as the mom at the moment that it rises and falling at the moment when it falls. Rising we repeat this to ourselves in our minds with our minds focused on the movement as it occurs. So we're not saying it out loud or in the head or at the lips. We're saying it where the mind is, in the stomach, at the moment when it rises and falls. This is called mindfulness of the body. This is focusing on the physical. And you can focus on any aspect of the physical in your meditation. When you feel yourself sitting and become aware of the fact that you're sitting on a chair or on the floor or, or so on, you, simply say to your, you can simply say to yourself, sitting. And this is a sort of meditation that allows you to see the, the reality of the physical part of your experience. Sitting, sitting, sitting. If you're walking, you can say to yourself, walking, walking, and so on. But when we're doing this basic meditation, we'll generally try to focus on the stomach because it's something that's easy to experience and easy to uh, become aware of and to see clearly as it really is. So we can simply stay with this rising and falling motion, saying to ourselves, rising, falling as a basic meditation practice. As we do so, we're going to see that many other experiences will arise. We might feel pain or aching or soreness. And we might feel happy, we might feel calm. Many uh, sensations can arise, pleasant ones or unpleasant ones. When these arise, we simply take them as a, the object of our awareness and say to ourselves, pain, 
pain, pain, pain. Or, or if we feel happy, we say happy, happy, happy. If we feel calm, we can say to ourselves calm, 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 until the sensation goes away. In this way, we see the experience clearly as it is, rather than judging it as good or bad and becoming upset about it, which is the normal uh, reaction to the experience. We create a new way of looking at the experience, which is simply for what it is, as it is. When the sensation is gone, we can come back again to the rising and the falling of the abdomen. If we begin to think of the past or the future, if thoughts arise in our mind, we should acknowledge them as well, saying to ourselves, thinking, thinking. Again, not trying to stop ourselves from thinking, but simply trying to understand the thought for what it is and to not get carried away by it or become upset or stressed by the experience. If we do f become upset and stressed about the experience, or, or any experience, then we can take that as our object of meditation. If we like something, we can say to ourselves, liking, liking. If we dislike something, we can say to ourselves, disliking, disliking. If we feel sad, or bored, or scared, or worried, or stressed, or unfocused, or confused, or if any negative state arises in the mind, or, or any emotive state at all, we can simply acknowledge it. We should acknowledge it for what it is. And this will allow us to come to see things as they are. This is the basic practice of meditation. So now I'm going to lead you through some of the things that you should be able to realize through the practice, or the stages of realization that come to a person who meditates in this way. If you like, you can continue with your eyes closed and meditate with me, watching the stomach rise and fall. And as I speak, you can reflect upon the things that I say, returning back again and again to your meditation practice. When any phenomenon arises, be it a sensation, a thought, or an emotive state, an emotion of some sort, or, or any sort of mental state, you can acknowledge it. If you've come to see things, or hear things, or smell, or taste, or feel, you can acknowledge these things as well as seeing, seeing, or hearing, hearing, smelling, smelling, tasting, tasting, feeling, feeling. Whatever comes, you can acknowledge it. When there's nothing left, just come back again to the rising and the falling of the stomach. The first thing we'll come to realize, and the most important first step in meditation, is to undergo a sort of paradigm shift in the way we understand the nature of reality. Our ordinary understanding of the nature of reality is based mostly on theory and views and beliefs, rather than clear and empirical understanding of our own. We've been taught the nature of reality from other people, from books and society and teachers and parents and so on. But now we're going to look at reality in terms of what really is for us, what really exists in our, in our universe, in our world. 
all of these things that I said one should be aware of, this is, these are all a part of reality. And in fact, these make up all of reality. And so the first thing that we come to see is that reality is made up of experiences that arise and cease. It's made up of two different sets of phenomena, one being the physical set or the physical side of experience, and the other is the mental side of experience. And these work together. So we come to see that all of experience is, is based on the six senses. It's based on seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, or thinking. One of these six senses is, is the cause for each and every experience that we have. The stomach rising and falling, this is a, a sensation. The physical side is the sensation itself. The mental side, the mental aspect, is the mind which is aware of it. Or, put simply, the knowing of the object. These two arise and cease together. So the knowing arises together with the movement. When the movement stops, the knowing stops as well. You cannot be aware of something that doesn't exist. And so the awareness, we say, arises with the movement. As we practice on, we come to realize that this is all that there really, truly is. We come to understand that this is the true and, and uh, correct way of understanding reality. That is, in terms of our experience. Other than that, there's only thoughts and theories that arise in the mind, beliefs and views and opinions. The only thing that is truly real is the physical and mental nature of reality. When we see something, there's the eye and the light. This is the physical side. There's the brain that processes it. And on the mental side, there's, there's the brain. Uh, on the mental side, sorry, there's the mind. The brain is also physical. But the mind is the awareness, the awareness of the sight, along with the judgments and the appreciation, the liking or the disliking, the happiness and the sadness that comes as a result, the recognition and, and so on. When we hear the sound in the ear, this is the physical, and the brain which processes it. The mind is, is, or the mental side, is the awareness of the phenomenon, of the sound. The same goes for the nose, the tongue, the body. At each of the senses, there is only the physical and mental phenomena arising and ceasing. We come to see that there is no individual being, no master in control, no owner. Who we are is merely a conglomeration of arising and ceasing states. This is the ultimate reality of experience. Why this is important is because it allows us to understand the nature of reality. As long as we understand 
reality in terms of three-dimensional external um, space having nothing to do with our experience of it. We can never truly come to understand the nature of reality because we're dealing in terms of thoughts. Our whole universe has arisen in our minds. The idea that we have a home and a family and a country and so on. And the idea that outside of our, exp our experience other things exist arises in the mind. It does not exist in ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is our experience. And through uh, repeated experience over a long period of time, we come to put together this idea of the world around us. But by living in this world of, of objects, places, people and things, we can never come to understand the true nature of reality because we're not observing reality in its ultimate sense. Once we come to realize that reality is ultimately made up of these experiences that arise and cease, for instance, the rising and falling of the abdomen or the sensations or the thoughts or the emotions, then we'll start to be able to understand reality for what it is, and this is where wisdom comes from. We we'll start to be able to break apart the process of clinging, the process of craving, the process of addiction, the process of hatred and aversion and depression and suffering. We'll come to see how it arises and how it ceases. We'll come to see what makes it arise and what is the way to find the cessation of suffering. So this is the first realization, just an understanding of the true nature of reality, that it's not made up of people, places, and things, it's only made up of experiences. The second understanding that we come to, the second realization that is most important for meditators and really makes up the whole of the meditation practice is the realization of the characteristics of reality. So as I said, once we understand the building blocks of reality, what makes up ultimate reality, what makes up experience, then we can start to see the characteristics of it. We can start to see whether those things that we cling to, those things that we crave for, are really and truly worth clinging and craving to. And those things that cause us anger and frustration and suffering and upset and depression, are they really unpleasant? Are they really and truly a, a just cause for us to become upset in this way? We come to, uh, to see what is the true value, the true worth of the experiences that we categorize as positive and negative. And we do this simply, again, by acknowledging, by noting, by using this mantra, this word, this name that allows us to see things simply as they are and removes any judgment from the mind. So, for instance, in terms of pain, we usually would think of pain as a bad, unpleasant phenomenon. 
But when we focus on the pain, saying to ourselves, pain, 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 we come to see that it's not really that at all. There's nothing intrinsic about it that is painful or unpleasant. Likewise, when we feel happy feelings or pleasant feelings, when we say to ourselves, happy, happy, we come to see that there's no reason to cling to it at all. It doesn't have any intrinsic worth. It's simply another feeling. It doesn't really truly make us happy and, and at peace with ourselves. It doesn't bring satisfaction and contentment. It only brings more and more addiction and attachment. And we, so we come to see that there is no satisfaction and no happiness to be found in clinging in, in any of the objects of our experience. We come to see that there's nothing that can truly satisfy us and make us happy. Our happiness cannot depend on any single thing in the whole universe. If we cannot find happiness that is uh, unrelated to the objects of experience, we'll never truly be happy. And this is because of the main characteristic of all, thing, all arisen things, is that they're impermanent. Everything that arises has to cease. There's nothing that can arise and having arisen not fade away. This is the nature of reality. It's a natural law that we have to understand and which we come to understand through the practice. We come to see that the rising of the abdomen arises, it begins, and having be begun, it ceases. The falling of the abdomen is, is the same. It has a beginning and an end. Our thoughts, our emotions, even the sensations in the body all have a beginning and an end. Everything that we see, hear, smell, taste, feel and think arises and ceases. And so we come to see those, those people, places and things that we thought were stable and permanent and lasting actually can be broken down into our experience of them. Our experience, which is, which is incredibly fleeting, ephemeral, unlasting. It, it comes and goes very quickly, changes very quickly. You can see this when you're enjoying something, a television show or a movie or so on. If you, if you start to meditate and start to observe your state of mind, you'll come to see that actually you're not happy, you're not at peace with yourself the whole time. You find that happiness arises and ceases, replaced by suffering and unhappiness. That even when we're enjoying something, uh, maybe it's a meal or, or a show or a movie, or some pleasant experience, that actually it doesn't last, it comes and it goes. The Buddha said, all Arisen things are impermanent. They can't last. They can't stay. And so as a result, all of the things that we hold dear are subject to dissolution. All of the conglomerate realities of people, places, and things can at any moment be uh, torn from us, can be removed from our, our lives. People pass away or leave or change. Places we leave behind or they change. 
and the things that we love, the things that we cling to, can be lost, can be stolen, can be broken, can be altered, and can lead us to great suffering and depression, because we cling to them as stable, as permanent, as lasting. So this is the first characteristic of reality, that everything changes. The second characteristic is dependent on the first one. But it's also very important to understand that the, the reason why, it's, why impermanence is such an important characteristic to see, to realize, is because as a result of impermanence, everything that arises is unsatisfying. There's no one thing that can satisfy, can bring happiness and peace. Nothing in this world that can make you truly happy. If your happiness depends on external things, then you'll always be subject to suffering and disappointment. Only when you can find true peace and happiness in and of yourself irrespective of, of, of your experience of the life that you lead or the objects of, of your experience, regardless of what you attain and achieve and, and obtain. Only when you can, can, you, can you, when you can find this sort of happiness will you be truly at peace and, and truly happy. Only when you're able to let go of your attachment to the things around you. And the third characteristic, the third important characteristic that we must necessarily realize through our practice is that there's nothing that can be said to be self or, or of the self. There's no experience which belongs to us, which is under our control. No part of reality can be said to have, a, have us as a master or an owner. When we say that things belong to us, this is only a concept. It doesn't have any r real, true meaning in ultimate reality. Because when everything is broken down into experience, we can see that the experiences have no owners. They arise and they cease of their own uh, causes and conditions, of their own nature. Happiness comes and goes. Even though you're engaging in, an, in a in an act that, that is thought to bring happiness and does bring pleasure, you can see that the, the pleasure is only fleeting. It arises and it ceases. And it's not lasting. It's not permanent. And there's nothing you can do to change that. You can't force it to stay. There's no trick that you can master to keep the happiness, to keep the pleasure. Everything arises and ceases. So these are the three characteristics of all things that we 
strive to understand, we strive to realize. And we can realize simply by watching reality as it is. By now, if you've been practicing along, hopefully you've come to realize some of these already in a very rudimentary form. As we practice on, we'll be able to see this in a much clearer manner. But it, the important thing to understand is that when you realize these, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be something that you can accept easily. And so in the beginning, without any guidance, meditators often become frustrated, thinking that this sort of meditation brings no good results. Because through the practice of watching the stom stomach, for example, rising and falling, you'll see that it's changing. For a little while it might be comfortable, but after some time you'll find that it becomes uncomfortable. As you um, force, them, force the breath and try to keep it smooth and constant, you'll find that you start to build up stress and tension in the body because your mind is constantly trying to control the movements of the stomach, just as it tries to control everything. Just as we're so used to uh, doing in our lives, we control, we, we force the experience, thinking that we can somehow make it stable and constant. So when it changes, we become upset. You can find that after a while the meditation can be quite stressful, because rather than simply seeing the object as it is, we're trying to control it. And we're coming to see that this is a cause for suffering. So as a result of the meditation, it can, we can experience a, quite a bit of stress. But when we experience this stress, we should acknowledge it as well, just for what it is. Coming to see that the cause isn't the meditation, but our inability to understand the object for what it is, our inability to accept it as it is. Reality is never going to be stable and constant. It's always going to change. And there's nothing we can do to change that. So when we feel stressed, we can say to ourselves, stress, stress. When we feel frustrated, we can say to ourselves, frustrated, frustrated. When we come to see that we have uh, very often the wrong way of looking at things. Again, we're judging, even judging our meditation practice as good or bad based on our ability to keep the mind with the stomach, force the stomach to rise and fall smoothly and constantly. When our mind wanders, you know, thinking about the past or future, we become frustrated and angry, thinking that somehow we can stop the mind from thinking. When we feel pain, we become upset, thinking that somehow the pain should not arise. We think that always there's something wrong when these things arise, when, when reality changes. But as I said, we come to see through, through uh, persistent and patient practice that this isn't the case, that we, that all of reality is impermanent. Uh, all of reality is unpleasant, is unsatisfying. All, all of arisen, all the things that arise in the world, everything that arises has to cease. As a result, they're unsatisfying. And we can't control them, we can't force them, we can't change reality to be any other way. The importance of these three characteristics, of seeing these three things, is that through this frustration, through this stress that we, we experience, we're going to come to let go and change the way we react. 
rather than trying to force things, forcing the body to rise, the stomach to rise and fall smoothly, trying to force our minds to stay on the rising and falling. We'll come to accept things as they are, so when the stomach changes, when perhaps the rising and the falling motion disappears, we won't become upset or, or frustrated. We won't try to force the, the stomach to rise and fall smoothly and so on. When our mind starts to think, we'll, be, we'll, we'll switch our object to be aware of the fact that we're thinking, simply saying to ourselves, thinking, thinking. We'll come to see that we can't keep the mind focused on any one thing for any given time. The nature of the mind is to think, is to, wa to wander. To, it's dynamic. Reality is something that changes. And we'll come to become comfortable with change. We'll no longer cling to ourselves as, as being this or that person living in this or that place with this or that job and this or that, that family and status and, and wealth and so on. We'll come to accept the changes and accept what comes. We'll come to see that reality is rolling on of its own accord. And if we're unable to keep up with it, then the only result is for us is suffering. There's no bargaining, there's no changing, there's no forcing reality to, to stop. Either we keep up with the changes or we suffer as a result. We come to let go and we come to live a more dynamic life and be able to experience reality for what it is and accept change when it comes. So this is the second important experience and this is going to deepen greatly as we practice. And it's going to, in the beginning, bring a lot of stress and suffering because, as I said, we see things as permanent. We see, we see many things as satisfying. And we see many things as under our control, as belonging to us. And so until we can let go of these things, we're going to experience a lot of stress. But as our insight deepens, we'll find our hold on these things uh, relaxes and, and eases up and eventually disappears. Uh, until we're able to experience reality simply as it is. The third realization that we come to then, once our insight has matured and we've come to finally shift our, our way of thinking away from the idea that we can somehow find true and lasting peace and happiness outside of ourselves or in some experience, that somehow we can make reality stable and, and permanent. When we come to let go and let ourselves go and live a dynamic life, accepting things as they are, as they come. We'll find ourselves changing, changing who we are, and we'll find ourselves entering into the, the, what is called the path. It's a way of life which is, which is clearly aware of things as they are. This is where we have this clear realization and the mind lets go. Once we practice and our insight has matured, there will come a point where the mind suddenly 
changes its focus. It no longer wants to cling to things. In the beginning, the mind will continuously rebel against the, this clear awareness of reality, wanting rather to cling and to attach, to enjoy, to chase after the objects of the sense, the objects of experience. But eventually there comes a point from repeated observation where we realize intuitively, uh, empirically, and um, in ultimate reality, that there's nothing worth clinging, that this isn't a way to find happiness. And our mind suddenly lets, begins to let go. It, it shifts its focus and starts to, f to move in a different direction. And it starts to change its way of, of, of reacting and interacting with the world around. When we practice for many days and days and weeks, if we practice especially under a qualified instructor, our, our way of being, our way of thinking will change until finally the mind realizes uh, clearly and decisively these truths that reality is impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. And then suddenly the mind will let go. And there will become an experience which is beyond words, where the mind leaves behind experience, leaves behind experiential reality of sights and sounds and smells and tastes and feelings and thoughts. It turns in on itself and comes to rest. If you think of the mind as dwelling in our center, then you can think that this is where the mind goes to. There's no more seeing, no more hearing, no more smelling, no more tasting, no more feeling, no more thinking. And so the mind has, a, has uh, a, an experience of true peace, and true freedom from these experiences, from this incessant arising and ceasing uh, flux of reality. This is called the path. This is the, the f like opening the door and, and finding the way out and leaving behind where the mind leaves behind the world. It's the inward path. This is the third realization. It's important to understand that when we talk about the Buddhist concepts of release and freedom and enlightenment and nirvana, and that it doesn't mean extinction in, in in, in the way that we normally think of, of the extinction of a being or so on. It simply means peace. And it can come even for a very short time. All it takes is, is a, a single moment of this realization to allow us to understand that the reality uh, around us is truly not the ultimate experience of peace happiness and freedom from suffering. Because we've seen something that is on a whole other plane, on a whole other level, 
something that is true peace, true happiness, true freedom from suffering. And so we no longer have to look for, for peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering in the world around us because we found it inside of ourselves. So even though this experience of, of turning inwards, of letting go, of giving up, might last only for a moment, it changes our whole being. Because though we come back and so though our mind comes out again and, and experiences the world around, there isn't the same sort of clinging, there isn't the same attachments. And so this is the fourth realization that comes after the path, the, the practice or the, the leaving behind. There comes the realization of the truth or the, the realization of enlightenment. And enlightenment comes in four stages. This is the final realization that we wish to attain through the practice. These four stages are delineations of, of the experience that one gains through the practice. Because, as I said, the realization of the freedom, this turning inwards, can happen only for a brief moment, it can happen for um, many minutes or, or even hours. But when the mind comes back, um, there, there, will be, there will be something changed or something given up. There, there's the realization and the understanding that comes along with it. And through repeated attainment of this state, it becomes clearer and clearer, and so the mind lets go more and more. And so we have these delineate, delineated stages whereby we can say that a person who has, who has practiced this much or, or practiced a certain amount will give up a certain type of clinging. And, and if they practice on and if they realize again and again this same experience, they will give up more and more till they reach a certain point where they've given up another set of, of clingings and so on. The first set of clingings have to do with our view, have to do with our understanding. So as I said, we come back with a different outlook on life. Even though we might still get angry or attached to things, we know that this isn't the right way of, of responding. Even though we know it's wrong, we might still cling and crave and, and um, become upset and frustrated Be simply through uh, our, our habitual tendencies and through our forgetfulness. When we're not being mindful, when we're not aware of what we're doing, we'll fall back into our old patterns even though we know better. We forget ourselves still because we haven't come to, to, to realize the, the full um, weight of this experience. It's still new to us. So in the beginning, the, after a first realization, one still might get angry or greedy, but one uh, will never act upon these, these states. One will never kill or steal or lie or cheat. Because even though one gets angry, one knows that this isn't the right response to the experience. One knows that there's no uh, benefit in clinging to the idea that, that somehow we can, we can change this experience for the better, getting rid of a bad experience or uh, encouraging a good experience. We come to see that there's no meaning in this at all. There's no true happiness to be found therein. So the first one is that we realize there is no, th these things don't belong to us and they have no benefit for us. 
to realize that there is the, they are not ours. And there is no I in this sense. This understanding, as I said, truly, at this point, true understanding that all of reality is, uh, is simply an, an arising and ceasing phenomenon. There's nothing that is permanent because we've seen the cessation of all experience. And, and in essence, the cessation of all of, rea all of, real all of r arisen reality. The other things are that we give up wrong practice. Um, we will no longer practice uh, useless things, thinking that somehow this practice or that practice is going to lead us to peace or happiness. We'll give up all religious ritual and rites and, and uh, moral precepts that have no meaning or no purpose, thinking that um, where, whereas before we might have thought that they would lead us to some purpose, rituals or uh, prayer or so on. Now we come to realize that these things have no meaning, that they have no intrinsic worth or benefit, or that, that they don't lead to ultimate peace and happiness. Well, they may have their place in terms of uh, our, our um, way of life or our religion, that they don't have any intrinsic value in terms of leading us to peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering, even though they can encourage wholesome mind states. And third, we have no doubt about what is the right path. We have no doubt about the practice of meditation. We have no doubt about the Buddha who is the teacher of this practice. We have no doubt about those who practice this teaching. We understand that this is the way because we've follow it, fallen it, followed it to the end and to the realization of the goal of the practice. So this is the first stage. The second stage is where we come to free ourselves from greed, anger, uh, uh, greed and anger to a great extent. We come to lessen the anger and the greed inside of ourselves through repeated realization of the truth, through pr continued practice and realization of this freedom, this turning inward. We come to give up more and more of our greed and anger till it's almost non-existent. The third stage of the path is where we give up greed and anger entirely, where we have no more uh, arisen uh, frustration or, or aversion to anything, uh, anything that arises in the world. We might still give rise at this point because the, of the existence of delusion. We might still give rise to the idea of wanting to be rid of something, uh, wanting to to n not have to come back and not be born again or so on, or to be born in a place without uh, this experience. And we might still give rise to the idea of wanting to be born or wanting to go to a place or to create something uh, that is pleasant or, or that is agreeable to us. We might still have these views because they're still delusion. But through the practice, the first things to go are the greed and the anger. So you can tell that, that you still have further to go as long as you still have greed and anger inside of you. And the final stage is where we give up all ignorance and conceit and delusion, all wanting and, and all ideas that we might um, somehow gain a state of peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering in the reality of the world around us. We come to 
accept this truth that happy, true happiness and peace is inside of ourselves and is totally independent of the reality of the world around us. And this is the final realization. This is what is meant by enlightenment. So even though through this basic practice we're probably not going, most of us are not going to realize these stages of enlightenment, we can understand that this is what we're aiming for. And through repeated practice, especially as I said, if we practice under a qualified teacher, we can come to realize uh, one or, or even all of these stages in this very life. Would, would mean, would, meaning that we can come to be free from the clinging and the aversion that leads us to suffering. So we can see that the practice of the Buddha's teaching is really actually a very simple thing. It focuses on the, the, these four uh, basic principles of practice where we uh, focus on the body, this is the stomach rising and falling, the feelings and sensations, where we feel pain or aching or we feel happy or we feel calm, the thoughts that arise in the mind and the emotions that arise as a result, liking, disliking, drowsiness, distraction, doubt, the, the states of mind in all their many facets, focusing on the senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, focusing on some aspect of reality for what it is, and seeing it clearly, training ourselves to see it simply as it is. It's a very simple concept, and one that we should not, um, we should not underestimate. Because the truth is, the only reason that we suffer is because we extrapolate on all of our experience. All of our experience, um, all of our uh, daily or, or ordinary experience is one of reaction and overreaction to the, experience, to the objects of the experience. And once we can come to simply see them for what they are, using, as I said, this mantra, which is, just means a recognition of the object simply as it is, saying to ourselves, pain, pain, or watching the stomach rising, falling, or walking, walking, thinking, thinking, or liking, liking, simply seeing the experience for what it is. Seeing, seeing, or hearing, hearing. We'll come to let go of, of all of these judgments and all of these extrapolations, all of these uh, overreactions to reality and we'll start to see things as they are. The realization, realizations that will come are equally very simple. We'll come to see the characteristics of reality. We'll come to see that all of reality is simply the physical and the mental, that it has these three characteristics of impermanence, uh, unsatisfying, uh, dissatisfaction or, or not being able to satisfy, and uncontrollability that we can't control and uh, take charge of the experience to try to keep it stable or to make it disappear and make it never come back. Once we realize this, our minds will leave behind experience. And the realization that will come from this is true freedom from greed, anger, and delusion, and ultimately suffering, where we no longer um, judge experience uh, or, or think that we can somehow find true peace outside of ourselves. So this is a fairly advanced talk, actually, but it should, under, should be easy to understand, if quite difficult to put into practice. 
And considering that it's a difficult thing to put into practice, I'd like to encourage everyone to not be negligent because the practice of the Buddha's teaching is something that you have to undertake for yourself. There's no benefit to be gained from simply listening and forgetting everything that you've heard. The pleasure from having listened to the Dhamma is nothing in compared to the pleasure and the happiness that comes from actually practicing it and realizing these truths for yourself. Since it's such a simple practice, it, it shouldn't be difficult or disagreeable for anyone to actually undertake this practice. And so I'd like to encourage you all to at least try uh, and if necessary, find yourself a qualified instructor to lead you through this practice until you also can realize the, uh, the, the truth that uh, he is waiting for us to see, uh, which is the truth of reality as it is. So thank you for watching, and I hope this has been informative and helpful for all of you on your spiritual path. I wish for you all to be able to actually put this into practice so that you can realize the truth for yourself and find true peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Thank you for watching and have a good day.